All right, guys. Well, it's uh, we are in our all-in challenge. And I got some feedback from some folks this week, which I really love. Listen, if you've got any concerns or feedback, I am always open. Uh, I would love to hear it. Uh, I, I am very uh, teachable. I am very humble. Um, I am very fluid. And, and I want to hear that feedback. And so the feedback that we got uh, in reference to this all-in challenge and making this commitment and, and wearing the shirts uh, was just the concern, are we putting too much pressure on people and are we uh, making people feel left out? And, and so I appreciate that. Now, here's the thing. We're, we're trying to create culture, right? And culture by its very definition is a force within a community that affects people's behavior. And, and so, therefore, culture is peer pressure uh, by its very definition. And so, yes, we are trying to create some positive peer pressure. That, that's part of this culture that we're trying to create with this all-in movement. But we're not trying to create too much pressure, right? There's a balance. There's a positive peer pressure of culture. But then there's too much pressure, which might make people feel rejected and, and, and obviously our big thing is we're a place to belong, right? That's our slogan at Kauai Bible Church. And so uh, we don't want to make people feel like they don't belong. So there's this fine balance between pressure and too much pressure, right? And, and I'm not perfect. And, and so I may not always find that perfect balance. And that's why we need to work together as a church. And so if you feel like at any point we're tipping the scales too far, and, and people are, are feeling rejected or left out or ostracized. Um, let's continue to talk about it, yeah? So, so continue to bring it to me. But this is the all-in challenge. Now, you saw Jake and Liz are, uh, are modeling the shirts today. These are the all-in shirts. Now, we want to wear these shirts on the first Sunday of every month. That's all-in Sunday, which is next Sunday. So you guys have to do laundry this week so that you can wear your shirts again next week, all right? Um, and, and so, uh, how do you get the shirt? Do you buy it? No. The shirts are not for sale. You cannot buy them. You get the shirt by making the all-in commitment. And again, this is where uh, we're talking about let's have some positive peer pressure, but let's not put too much pressure on people. I believe this, that this commitment is the basic expectation of the Bible for followers of Jesus. And that's why I don't feel like I'm asking too much of people. Because I feel like it's the basic biblical expectations of a follower of Jesus. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, let me pull up my Bible here. And so we're asking people to commit to making Sunday service and community in the church a priority. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us continue how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own gathering together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Right? So we don't want to forsake the gathering. We want to make the gathering, we want to make the community a priority. Now, I understand that some people live on Kauai half the time and live on another island half the time. Some people live on Kauai half the time and they live on the mainland half the time. Obviously, we're asking you to make the commitment to Sunday service while you're on Kauai. All right, we're not asking you to, uh, to change the, the rhythm of your life to only live on Kauai. We're asking you that when you're on Kauai, you make the Sunday service a gathering, right? So I, I wanted to make that clear because I think there was some confusion on that part of it. Uh, 
Number two, we're asking you to commit to serving in ministry. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Every part doing their part is what causes the body to grow. That's all of us committing to serve in ministry. And the third commitment is I will tithe faithfully. Malachi 3.10, which we're actually going to study next Sunday. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Right? So the three commitments, I believe they're commitments that we can all make. That's why I don't feel like we're asking too much. Um, We're committing to making the Sunday service and community a priority. We're committing to serve in some form of ministry, and we're committing to tithe faithfully. Amen? So if you have not filled this out yet, uh, they're at the welcome table. As soon as you sign it, Joy's got a shirt for you. And and if you've got a shirt, we all want to wear our shirts next Sunday. And if you don't have a shirt yet, I encourage you, keep praying about it. Keep seeking the Lord. And even if you want to talk about what it is that's stopping you from signing it, please talk to me. That's what I'm here for. I would love to talk with you about uh, maybe what the obstacle is and what the hindrance is. Amen? All right, you guys, that's what we're doing. Hang on here. I'm going to set my iPad up to not turn off on me so that I don't lose myself in the midst of my notes. All right. There we go. Praise God. All right, so we are in this all-in challenge. We're, we're, we're going week by week through the book of Malachi. And so last week we studied Malachi chapter 1. And so this week we are in Malachi chapter 2. And here's the thing. Last week's message was a hard message, right? It was a very challenging message. And so I purposed myself this week that I wanted to preach a very encouraging message. I didn't want to do two hard messages in a row because I didn't want this all-in challenge to be like this bummer where you just feel like you're getting hammered over the head every Sunday at church. I want this all-in challenge to be an exciting thing. So I purposed myself, I'm going to preach an encouraging message this week. I want us to be encouraged and excited. And then I read Malachi chapter 2, and I'm like, oh, no. The entire chapter is God scolding and reprimanding the priests because they were doing everything wrong. And I'm like, oh, great. How am I going to preach an encouraging message out of Malachi chapter 2? So I spent extra time praying about it. It took me longer this week to prepare my sermon than usual. Uh, And then finally, in the midst of my prayer, God gave me a revelation. And I am so excited today to to teach this revelation to you that we found an encouraging message in the midst of Malachi chapter 2, in the midst of God being mad at the priests because they were being treacherous to their brothers. They were uh, worshiping false gods. They were being unfaithful in their marriages. They were getting divorced. Some of them were even committing violence against their wives. And in the midst of all of that, God is reprimanding them, but there is a truth, there is a nugget here in the midst of Malachi chapter 2 that I want to unpack today. So if you've got your notes, which you can find your notes in the bulletin, you can find them attached to this audio podcast, you can find them attached to this uh, video on our website, or you can find them in our church app. 
Here's our big picture point today, because we're talking about an all-in covenant. The purpose of God's covenant with the tribe of Levi was establishing a zealous people who would protect the church from sin and lead more souls into his kingdom. The purpose of God's covenant with the tribe of Levi was establishing a zealous people who would protect the church from sin and lead more souls into his kingdom. All right, so that's where we're going. But we're going to unpack some things to get there. I'm just going to warn you, we're going to nerd out a little bit today on biblical history. Okay, so just trust me. If it doesn't seem like it makes any sense and what it has to do with the all-in challenge, trust me, we're going to get somewhere. And when we get somewhere, it's going to be a super encouraging conclusion that, that, that we can all come to, all right? So let's go to Malachi chapter 2, and let's start in verse 4. It says, then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you. What's the commandment? Well, in verses 1 and 2, God says this, and now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, right? We, we learned honor last Sunday. Says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you. Oh, dang. Okay, so this is the new commandment. If you do not honor my name, I will send a curse upon you. So he says, then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. All right, so we're going to talk about covenant today, and we're specifically going to talk about God's covenant with the tribe of Levi. So to understand the Bible, to even understand the story of God, we have to understand covenant. Now, for the sake of your notes, which the first blank in your notes is the word covenant, I wanted to make a, a real simple one-line definition, but covenant is such a nuanced word that that was hard to do. So this was the best I could do uh, with all the definitions that I studied, is that a covenant is a binding relationship in which two parties make promises to each other. You see, the definition of a covenant is a relationship. It's not a contract. It's not a business transaction. If you're in covenant with somebody, you're in relationship with that person. And it's a binding relationship, which generally means that uh, a, a covenant between two people is for life, and a covenant with God is forever, right? That's what makes it binding, Right? So the marriage covenant between two people is for life. A covenant with God is for eternity. So it's a binding relationship in which two parties make promises to each other. Now you can view covenant in two ways. One way is what we call bilateral. What bilateral means is that you have two equal parties that are negotiating the covenant. And this is man making covenant with man, right? Or human making covenant with human. It can be between man and woman and whatnot. But it's called bilateral because both people are equals and they are bringing the terms of the covenant together. And so we see this throughout the Bible. We see that Abraham and Abimelech made a covenant together. We see that Isaac and Abimelech made a covenant together. We see Jacob and Laban making a covenant together. We see David and Jonathan making a covenant together. So we see these kinds of covenants all through the Bible. And generally, they involved cutting an animal in half. I know that sounds weird, but that's how they did it back in the ancient Far East or the ancient Middle East. All right, they cut an animal in half, and then even though the covenant was between two people, they still invoked the name of God upon their covenant. 
which is how marriage still works today, right? It's a covenant between two people, but we still invoke the name of God over our covenant. So that's a bilateral covenant. The other covenant is what's called unilateral. What does that mean? That means the parties are not equal. Only one party sets the terms of the covenant. And this is where we get covenants between God and man. Right? Because when God makes covenant, he does not negotiate with man. God shows up and says, here's the covenant. Here's my promise. Here's what's expected of you. And that's the final word. You choose to accept it or not, right? That's a unilateral covenant. And most of the covenants with God can be boiled down to, I will be your God and you will be my people. Amen? I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so we see a lot of covenants throughout the Bible. The, the most famous ones are the Adamic covenant with Adam, right? If you just add I-C to the end of their name, that's how you name the covenant, all right? So you had the Adamic covenant. He made covenant with Adam. You have the Noahic covenant. He made covenant with Noah. Then you have the Abrahamic covenant. He made covenant with Abraham. And then you have the Mosaic covenant, or what's known as the Mount Sinai covenant, where he makes the covenant with the, with the Old Testament law. You've got the Davidic covenant, where he makes covenant with David. And then, of course, we've got the New Covenant, where through the blood of Jesus, we're all in covenant with God, right? So the, the entire story of the Bible is in the context of these covenants that God makes with man. But here in Malachi, it mentions a covenant that God made with the tribe of Levi. And this is not one of the more well-known covenants that I just listed. And so this is where God really drew my heart, and I began to study this, and I was fascinated by it. And, and here's the thing. Why are we teaching on this today? Because I believe that this covenant with Levi was an all-in covenant, right? And that's, that's what we're talking about with signing these papers, is we want to go into an all-in covenant. And I believe this, and I'm going to prove it biblically, that the covenant that God made with Levi is continued and perpetuated in the new covenant with his church, which is us. So I believe that this, this covenant that we're going to learn about today applies to us as the church. All right, are you guys with me? So let's continue in Malachi chapter 2. So he says he made covenant with Levi. Then in the next couple of verses, he describes the covenant. My covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him as an object of reverence, so he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Right, so let's look at this covenant with Levi in your notes. First off, what was God's promise in the midst of this covenant, God's promise was to provide life and peace. To provide life and peace. We're going to learn more next week, but that could also be described as provision and protection. 
He was going to oversee us. He was going to protect us. He is going to bless us. He's going to make sure that we're taken care of and provided for, that we are going to live a life of peace and trust in him, right? This is the promise of God, a life of, a, 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 a life of peace, a life of provision, a life of protection. As Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's God's promise. What's Levi's requirements? In verse 5, it says, So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. So Levi's requirement was reverence, which is a lot of what we learned about last week, honor and respect and a healthy fear of God and honor meaning obedience and so that we would be obedient to God. But then he even goes further into what that obedience looks like. What did he say? He said that Levi would be the messenger of God, that he would teach many the truth of God's word. So Levi's requirement was reverence. And I want to read you this quote. It's kind of long, but this is from Taylor and Clendenin, uh, who are two theologians that wrote a, uh, uh, I just completely blanked on the word, um, uh, a commentary on the book of Malachi. There you go. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Put it back in my head. Okay. So these two theologians wrote a commentary that, that I read, and uh, this quote just blew me away. Check this out. As those who know the Lord, that's us, as those who know the Lord, we must realize that every moment of every day, in, we live every moment of every day in the immediate presence of a God whose limitless grace is the only thing that protects us from being destroyed by the boundless conflagration of his righteous wrath. Now stop right there. If you have no idea what conflagration means, don't worry. I didn't either, okay? I had to look it up. So I looked it up, and a conflagration is a raging fire that consumes a large piece of land. All right, so when he's talking about the boundless conflagration of God's righteous wrath, he's talking about that God's wrath consumes everything in a fire, right? So what are they saying here? They're saying that, that we need to live every moment of every day understanding that we are in the presence of God, that the only reason that his righteous wrath doesn't consume us in fire is because of his limitless grace. Come on, that is so good. His grace over our lives gives us complete protection from his righteous wrath. So their conclusion then is this. Only a fool could respond with anything but fear and love, which together should motivate diligent faithfulness and obedience. Come on, when we can understand how good the grace of God is and how much the grace of God protects us from, the only appropriate response is fear and love. I'm in fear of God, but I love him so much because he loved me first. And because of that, I'm going to be faithful in obedience. That's the requirement of the covenant. That's the reverence. And then what is the result? What is the fruit of this covenant? That many turn to God. He said that Levi would turn many away from their iniquities which means many would be turned towards God. So again, what is God's end goal? More souls, more people in the kingdom, more people in eternity in heaven. That was the purpose of his covenant with Levi, and I believe that's the purpose of the church today. 
All right, you guys with me? So now let's go into the history of this. Because if we understand this covenant with Levi, I believe, again, it's going to open up revelation to us to really understand who we are as a church, all right? So to understand the covenant with Levi, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 34. What happens in Genesis chapter 34? One of the daughters of Abraham named Dina was raped by one of the men of the city where they were uh, near where they were camping. And the man who raped her said he was in love with her. I find that hard to believe. Right? Clearly he was in lust with her and, and had no recognition or respect for her boundaries or her personhood. But he said, I'm in love with her. I want to marry her. So dad, can you go make sure she can be my wife? So his dad, Hamor, goes to Abraham and says, can, can we take Dina? You know, can we marry your daughters? You can marry our daughters. And, and so Simeon and Levi come up with this plan to trick all the men of Hamor's city to circumcise themselves. And then right when they did that, clearly you can't fight because every man in here gets it. Okay. They couldn't fight back. Simeon and Levi went through the city and slaughtered every man in the city in vengeance for their sister. What happened because Simeon and Levi did this? They were cursed. And they were actually cursed by their own father, Jacob. Genesis 49, starting in verse 5. This is Jacob prophesying over all of his sons. And here's the specific prophecy over Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger, they slew men. And in their self-will, they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob, and I will scatter them in Israel. So this prophetic word over Simeon and Levi is cursing them. First off, God says, I don't even want to be in counsel with them. But then what does he curse them with? He curses them with landlessness. He says that when the nation of Israel moves into the promised land, he said that Simeon and Levi would be scattered. They wouldn't have any land. They would have no inheritance in the promised land because of their anger and their rage. All right, so that's the curse that's upon them. So first, let's look at this in the context of Simeon. How does this curse affect the tribe of Simeon? Well, first thing we see is that in the book of Numbers, there are two censuses that are taken, right? Are two censuses a sensei? I don't know. But anyway, two censuses are taken, one in Numbers chapter 1, one in, in Numbers chapter 16. In the first census... The tribe of Simeon is one of the strongest tribes in the nation with 59,300 men ready for war. In the second tribe, they had lost 63% of their population and they only had 22,200 men ready for war. And now they were left as the weakest tribe in Israel. We see this continue in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Moses, before he dies, declares a blessing over all the tribes of Israel except for Simeon. He is completely left out of all of the blessings of Deuteronomy chapter 33. And then when we get to Joshua chapter 19, after they have uh, 
had their conquest through the promised land, and they're dividing up the land, what land does Simeon get? They don't get their own land. It says that their land fell within Judah's land, and so Simeon was actually absorbed into the tribe of Judah. So you see this curse play out over the tribe of Simeon. Their tribe became weaker and weaker. They weren't blessed, and they didn't get any land in the promised land. But here's the thing. We don't see the curse play out the same way for Levi. Why not? Let's take a look. First, we have the golden calf episode. You guys are familiar with this, right? Moses is up on the mountain. He's not coming down quickly enough. The rest of the nation is at the bottom of the mountain. And they're like, Moses isn't coming back. He's abandoned us. Let's make our own God. And so they make this golden calf, and they start having these awful worship parties where they're worshiping the golden calf. Moses finally does come down from the mountain, walks into one of these worship parties where they're worshiping the golden calf, and he throws down the tablets that he was holding. And this is what happens. Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And you guys can see it on the screen. Who came to him? All the sons of Levi gathered together to him. Right? He cries out, Who's with me? Who's for God? And it was the sons of Levi that responded. And so Moses said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother, every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. They had to execute everybody who was staying faithful to worshiping the golden calf. And the tribe of Levi was willing to do it. Now, we don't have to execute people today. Hallelujah. It was a different world and a different covenant back then. All right. But that's what they had to do. And here's the thing I want you to see. When God asked who was for, when Moses asked who was for God, it was the tribe of Levi that responded. And it was the tribe of Levi that was willing to do whatever it took to make sure that God's people were kept holy. So what do we see at the golden calf episode? We see that the tribe of Levi was all in. Then we get to the Peor episode. All right, we get to the Peor episode. And we're going to read Numbers starting in chapter 25. What we see here in the Peor episode is that during their wanderings in the wilderness, they ended up camping next to the city of Peor. And while they're camping there, they fall into idolatry with the people of Peor. So they start worshiping false gods. They start marrying the, 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 the pagan women from this city. They start sleeping with the pagan women. Of course, God's wrath is unleashed. A plague begins to affect the people of Israel. It says 24,000 people were killed in the plague. But Moses is at the door of the tabernacle weeping and crying out in brokenness before God because of the sin of the people. And the Bible says one dude was so brash in his sin that he took one of these pagan women, paraded her right in front of Moses, weeping at the door of the tabernacle, and took this woman right into his tent to have sex with her. 
And there was a man named Phineas who rose up and went into this tent and pierced this couple through with a spear and killed them right there. And the Bible says the moment Phineas did that, the plague stopped. And this is what Moses says, starting in verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. So in the Peor episode, what do we see? We see that Phineas, who was of the tribe of Levi, was all in. He was all in. And God says, because he's all in, I'm going to make a covenant with the tribe of, Eli- of Levi. You see, this is where the covenant with Levi started, was right here with Phineas. I'm going to make a covenant with the tribe of Levi, and it's going to be a perpetual covenant of the priesthood. It will be for him and his descendants after him. Why? Because he was jealous for his God. Because he reflected the jealousy of God. What does this mean, the jealousy of God? Well, listen, for God, love and jealousy are two sides of the same coin. You see, we're not talking about the type of broken human jealousy that's paranoid and manipulative and controlling. That's not the kind of jealousy we're talking about here. We're talking about a godly jealousy that actually fits in with true love. Love and jealousy are two sides of the same coin. You say, well, what do you mean? Being a jealous God means that God loves so much that he's willing to do whatever it takes to keep a group of people in relationship with him. God loves so much that he's willing to do whatever it takes to keep people holy and pure before him. That's what it means that he's a jealous God. So when we read in Malachi chapter 2 that God says, here's a new commandment for you. If you will not honor my name, I'm going to send a curse upon you. And you're like, well, why would a loving God do that? Because he loves so much that he knows that's what's best for us is to stay pure before him. And so if there are influences and cultures and groups of people that are going to cause us to stumble and sin and fall away from God, then God is willing to curse those people so that we will stay close to him. I hope you guys are hearing my heart in this. And so Phineas recognized the jealousy of God and responded in the jealousy of God. And and God says, because... Phineas recognized my jealousy, and because Phineas was all in, I am making a covenant with the tribe of Levi. So you see, in Deuteronomy 33, when Moses blesses all the people, he leaves Simeon out, but not Levi. There's a blessing in there for Levi. Why? Because Levi was redeemed, because they were all in at the golden calf episode. And when the land was dispersed in Joshua in the promised land, now technically Levi didn't get any land, 
But because they were the priesthood, they were given cities in every tribe, and they were given pasture lands in every tribe, and they were given the tithe to meet their needs and to provide for them. So you see where Simeon experienced the fullness of the curse, Levi experienced redemption in covenants. You guys starting to catch on where I'm going here? The covenant with Levi and the church. What does the covenant with Levi have to do with the church? Well, we go to Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, the prophet says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He's referring to the covenant at Mount Sinai. My covenant which they broke by the way, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So Jeremiah the prophet is declaring the word of the Lord that God is saying, I'm going to make a new covenant. Not like the old covenant at Mount Sinai. I'm going to make a new covenant. And we know now that that new covenant was going to come through the blood of Jesus. Right? Now continue to Jeremiah chapter 33. And in verse 14 it says this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, which I will when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So he's referring to when the day will come when he's going to fulfill this new covenant that he has promised. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. Who is the righteous branch of David? Jesus, right? So he's saying at that time, Jesus will come forth. And in those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Why is that? Why is David never going to lack a man to sit on the throne? Because it's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. Now look at verse 18. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. So why is this? So if David will always have a man on the throne, and that's fulfilled in Jesus, then why will the tribe of Levi always have priests to worship God? Because that's the church. That's the church. We are the people of the tribe of Levi that will continually offer worship to God. And then skip down to verse 22. Look at this. As the host of heaven cannot be counted and the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister to me. The tribe of Levi is going to be multiplied so that it's like the sand on the seashore. It can't be counted. How is that possible? Because every person who becomes a follower of Jesus, becomes a part of the church, carries on the covenant of the tribe of Levi. Are you guys with me? Come on. Maybe I lost some of you. You might have to go back and listen to the podcast a couple times to make sure you're with me. 
So let's get back to your notes then. What does this mean? If the tribe of Levi is the church, what does this mean? First off, it means that a tribe that was under the curse of sin was redeemed because of their all-in zeal for God's presence and holiness, and because of that were brought into covenant. And so just like the tribe of Levi, we as individuals were lost under the curse of sin. We were living in a sinful nature. We were apart from God. We were doing life our own way. But at some point, we encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ. We heard the message of the good news. And at some point, we were willing to surrender ourselves completely to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. And because we were willing to go all in for the presence of God, God brought us into the new covenant through the blood of Jesus. Then what do we see next? In their redemptive state, the tribe of Levi were given roles to serve God's kingdom purposes. They were given roles to serve God's kingdom purposes. What were those roles? Well, if we go back to Deuteronomy 33, the blessings of Moses, Moses actually declares it. Of Levi, he said, let your thumen and your urim belong to your godly man. Those were the stones they used as part of the Old Testament priesthood. Whom you proved at Massah, with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah. Who said of his father and his mother, I did not consider them. And he did not acknowledge his brothers, nor did he regard his own sons. What is he talking about here? They were willing to do whatever it took, including executing their own countrymen. To be all in for the holiness of God. Because they were willing to do that, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. So then what are the roles? Verse 10, they shall teach your ordinances to Jacob and your law to Israel. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Right? So what was their role in the covenant? Was to be keepers and teachers of the word and truth of God. And it was to be leaders of worship to maintain and to keep the house of God. These were the roles they were given in their redemptive covenant. And I believe they're the same roles that the church has been given in our redemptive covenant with Jesus. We as the church have been called to be the keepers and the teachers of the word of God and the truth of God. And we have been called to lead the way in worship, in glorifying God's name, in caring for his house, the church and the property that he has blessed us with. We have been given roles. Going back to our theologians, Taylor and Clendenin, they said this, the fear of the Lord motivates not only moral obedience in general, but also the fulfillment of divinely assigned roles within the community of faith. We have divinely assigned roles within the community of faith, and it's our reverence for God, it's our love for God that not only brings us into moral obedience, which means we don't sin, it also causes us to fulfill our divine assignments. So then what did we see from the tribe of Levi? They served out of their love for God, for his word, and for his house. They served out of their love for God, for his word, and for his house. Let me invite the worship team to come back up today. So where are we at then? God loves so much that he's a jealous God, which means God desperately wants to protect holiness and truth and purity and relationship with him. So what does that mean? That means that God is looking for all-in people who will do exactly that, 
who will protect the standard and the purity and the holiness and the truth of his word that will people that will glorify his name because when we do that more people are drawn to the kingdom because when we do that more souls are saved and more people are discipled listen when we live in compromise when we take God's word for granted when we just do things however we want or however we like, when we say, well, you know, that could be covered by grace. We can be okay with that. You see, when we do that, why does that break God's hearts? Because that means that we as a church lose our witness. We lose our power and our effectiveness, and we're not going to win as many people to Jesus. So what is God looking for? He's looking for an all-in people. He's looking for a people who are so passionate about the presence of God and the holiness of God and want so desperately to see more people in the kingdom of God that we're willing to go all in. We're willing to go in completely for the house of God. We love his house. We love his people. We love his word. And so we're going to go all in for his word and for his house. We're going to go all in for our worship of him. We're going to give ourselves completely to him. And when we do that... We're going to be more effective, more powerful. We're going to turn more people away from sin. We're going to reach more souls. That's what the all-in challenge is all about. It's not trying to make you feel bad by getting you to follow a couple of rules. No, it's trying to get us to be the church that God wanted. A tribe of Levi kind of church. A Phineas kind of church. Now, we don't have to drive spears through people. Thank you, Jesus. No, we have to hold the truth and the word of God in love. And live all in for him. Pastor G.F. Watkins says this. When we love God for real, we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. That's what it means to be an all in people. We love what he loves. God loves the church, so we're going to love the church. God loves generosity, so we're going to love generosity. Come on, God loves people, so we're going to love people. God hates sin, so we're going to hate sin. God hates idolatry, so we're going to hate idolatry. God hates compromise, so we're going to hate compromise. God hates lethargy. God hates half-heartedness, so we're going to hate lethargy, and we're going to hate half-heartedness, and we're going to go all in. Come on, can we imagine a church where we don't have to worry about not having enough volunteers and not having enough servants, not having enough ministers because everybody's all in? Can you imagine we as a church never have to worry about not having enough money because we're all in? That's what we're going for. That's the encouragements. We are the tribe of Levi. We are under the covenant of the tribe of Levi, and we are going to be a zealous people. We're going to be a jealous people for God, like Phineas. Will you guys stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. If you did not get a chance to sign this last week, you have a chance today. If you're still with us on the live stream or the digital campus and you're not quite ready yet or to, to gather in person, just know that as soon as you come in person, these will be here, the shirts will be here, and we'll be so excited to welcome you back to in-person service, and we'll be so excited to, to, to have you be a part of the all-in commitments. Come on, you guys, this is who we're called to be. This is our passion. This is what we're zealous for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, would you just allow this truth to resonate deep within our hearts. Lord God, let the seed sown today take hold within us that we would be an all-in people. God, let the spirit of Phineas come upon Kauai Bible Church that we would understand his heart and his passion. 
and we would understand why, God, you were so willing to make perpetual covenant with him because that's what you were looking for. God, my prayer today for Kauai Bible Church is that you would find in our hearts, you would find in our church, Ohana, exactly what you're looking for, an all-in people, a zealous people, that, Lord, we would be so in love with you because we understand how good you are. We understand how much you loved us. We understand how powerful your limitless grace is in our life. And so, Lord, we love you. We're zealous for you. God, we're ready to go all in for you. Jesus, because we want to see your kingdom purposes fulfilled. Find it in our hearts, Lord. Bring it to life in our hearts, God, if we're struggling with it. God, if there's distraction, if there's fear, if there's obstacles, God, would you bring us through? Would you birth it within us, Lord, that we could walk this out? Jesus, thank you for calling us to be your new covenant people. Thank you for calling us to be your perpetual priesthood. Thank you for calling us to be protectors of your word and your truth. Thank you for calling us to be your messengers. Thank you for calling us to be your worshipers, Lord. Move in our hearts as we make this all-in commitment, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.